Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. I've been telling you for a long time that save with Conrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. I'm calling some of our folks that we've helped out really just trying to get their story what made you come to save with conrad the podcast i mean to be honest with you dave i was working with steven steven man that guy was on top of everything it really made us a very very comfortable whole process steven was definitely a five-star as public school teachers you know you're giving so much of your time to to help these kids out that don't have it we're we're living a life of in this house right now of luxury that, that we both are extremely blessed to, to, to be in because you guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think I reached out at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, here in Washington, and Conrad like responded to my email like within five minutes. He's like, we'll hook you up, dude. And I was like, <laughs> this is the guy I want to work with. You know, we live in an area that is not affordable for teachers. And as soon as I, I talked to Conrad and, and, and Steven, they were just like, we can get this done. And it was just like, we never stressed about it at all. From your end, you guys were just out of this world for us. You know, we have four kids. As soon as we found this house and reached out to you guys, it was just like, it happened. It was just such a smooth process. I mean, I, I'm telling you, it was it was the easiest process to go through. If you had a friend or a coworker that was looking for help, would you recommend Stay With Conrad to them? I have. Oh, wonderful. I have. They're like, yeah, you know, we're thinking about buying a house. I'm like, Stay With Conrad. And and what what a great thing that, you know, you guys are located in Alabama and Conrad is like willing to uh, uh, purchase a house for us here in Washington State all the way across the, the country. This is our forever home. That's and, and for you guys to make our dreams come true in our forever home. It's a dream come true, it is. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo!
Today's a very special episode of Arn. You know that finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but even Arn had to hate all the pressure of what's next. Of course, there's all the engagement talk that then there's the pressure of actually shopping for a ring, hassle, haggling, finding a store to trust, figuring out the four C's, discount sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. But at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged but that's why guys really hate Steven Singer. He takes away every excuse in the book around not buying the ring, and he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler that has been making it easy, too easy, to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. No call center, no sales, no haggling, no codes or discounts, just the best possible price, guaranteeing the very best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate Steven singer.com. That's I hate Steven singer.com. And oh, by the way, his showroom is open. Stop by and see him at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. If you're like me and you're in the great state of Alabama, that's I hate Steven singer.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spine Buster. He is Double A. He is the enforcer. He's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Let me absorb what you just said. Am I all that stuff? You're all that and a bag of chips, as they say. Then I should be awesome, which I am. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you. We just finished up last week talking about 1984 and, uh, things they are changing. Uh, you've kicked all the roommates out. You're looking for a little more private time. You found the love of your life. You're not quite married yet, but boy, you got eyes on Mrs. Lundy as she's known these days. Uh, but now we're going to jump back into wrestling, talk all about 1985, your first match of the year, at least in Birmingham. Uh, is uh, beating pork chop cash by DQ on June, or I'm sorry, January 3rd. And then on uh, January 7th, you're back working with Mr. Olympia. And I think this is going to be your last time with him for a little while. It goes to a draw, though. So there's no real resolution. We talked last week about how sometimes the cage match is the blow off match. But you guys at this point have had a stretcher match and a tape fist match and a mask versus loser leaves match. And now we're just doing a draw. And I guess that's really what you're looking for. You want to keep everybody strong and, and keep it, keep the train on the tracks, right? Absolutely. And 
just one side note before we get there, just to let you know where the frame of mind was. Erin uh, let me know that she wanted a dog. Okay. So we went up, she went up to Bruton, Alabama. I know all about Bruton. And there was a lady there that had a litter of Cocker Spaniels and we got our first baby. We named Sammy. He was with us 12 years and a beautiful Cocker Spaniel, uh, just a member of the family. So I am already starting to change from being a single guy to a man with the family. My goodness. Haven't, we're not married yet, but. So are, that's the idea. How big is I, the dog? Sammy, uh, got up to being about, I would say about 30 pounds, but his, I mean, his coat was so long uh, that, that breed of Cocker Spaniel, uh, he was go- like golden and, and white and he was just beautiful. He got groomed. We got him groomed every once a week, every week he would get a bath and I mean, he's just a beautiful dog and the sweetest dog uh, more to come about him later, but, uh, after Barrett's born, but started throwing me in cause he was a big part of our family for a long time, man. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, dog, what dog person, dog person. I'm a dog person. Yep. I know. Uh, yeah, I, got, why I knew you would appreciate that. I got the spice girls over here. So we got uh, a 14 man battle Royal going down a week later on uh, January 14th, 1985. Uh, this 14 man battle Royal of course includes yourself, but a bunch of other guys, Austin idol, Bill Ash, Bob Armstrong, Jimmy golden, Johnny rich, Lord humongous, Mr. Olympia, Pat Rose, pork chop cash, Randy Rose, Scott Armstrong, Steve Armstrong, and the assassin. Now we've explained uh, a lot about a lot of these guys, but a couple of names we haven't touched on or spent a lot of time on Randy Rose. And I think he's maybe one of the more forgotten talents in professional wrestling. And that's probably a shame, uh, six foot two, 240 pounds out of Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, he has a, a little footnote. I believe he is perhaps one of the original members of the midnight express. Is that right? Not a bad pedigree, is it? Nope. And, uh, this was prior to, uh, obviously Bobby and Dennis and Cornette being a unit, but, yeah. uh, him and Dennis were partners and Norval Austin was the third guy back in 1980 is when that all happened. But it is interesting to see him pop up here. You know, we're going to start talking about Ole Anderson a lot here on Arn's podcast. And here's a little, did you know, did you know that? Arn used to refer to Oli as rock on camera. How about that? No, not like Don Morocco and not like Dwayne Johnson, but like rockauto.com. Man, I've been talking about these guys for a while and it's because I really believe in it. It blew my mind to learn that if you go to a big box store, they have two different price tiers. You know who I'm talking about. Some of those places that we all have to go to get oil or windshield wiper blades or whatever. So when you go in there, if you're a mechanic, you get a good price. And if you're just me or you, well, they rake you over the coals. What's up with that? Why would you choose to spend 30, 50, hundred percent more for the exact same parts? It's just silly. Chain stores have these different price tiers and it's motivated me to stop all that. So we partnered with rockauto.com. By the way, rockauto.com doesn't do any of that. Their prices are the same for everybody. And oh yeah, reliably low. 
In fact, rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible. How about that? They're not out here popping up these stores and ripping people off. They're hooking everybody up, just like me and you. By the way, I believe in rockauto.com because like my business, they're a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So you can go to rockauto.com and you can shop for all of your auto and body parts and you can choose from hundreds of manufacturers. They've literally got everything. Don't take my word for it. Go to rockauto.com, type in your make and model. Boom. You're going to see what all they've got for your car specifically. And they got everything, dude. I'm talking about uh, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, hell new carpet. Whether it's your classic car, like we've told the story here before, I got my dad an old classic Corvette. We lived on rockauto.com until we got that thing dialed in. Or maybe it's for your daily driver. And Lord knows I've used that a lot this year. Uh, Everything you need is at rockauto.com and it's in a few easy clicks. And by the way, it's delivered directly to your door. I also want to mention rockauto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. I even got my dad doing it. And let me tell you, if my dad can do it, your dad can too. Tell him to go check it out. He's going to see the same price that you get, whether you're a professional mechanic or not. No price tiers at rockauto.com. Why spend twice as much for the same stuff? Silly. What you'll find there, an amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts you'll ever need is rockauto.com. Now do me a favor. Go to rockauto.com right now. Check out all the stuff available for your car, all the parts available for your car or your truck, and then write ARN. When you see that old, how did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you one more time. Just go to rockauto.com. Look and see what they got for your car or truck. When you find what you're looking for, you'll see a little box there. When you're checking out, that says, how did you hear about us? Just write in a R N that way they know we sent you. And, uh, when you save some money hit everybody with that old two, two, let's get back to the show. And uh, the other name that I wanted to mention in the list, I guess there's two, one is bill ash which I have to admit is not somebody I was very familiar with a Carthage, uh, Missouri guy, five foot 10, 220 pounds. Uh, what do you remember about bill Ash? Who I believe also wrestled as Billy Ash or rebel. Do you not know what he was in his other life? I do not. Conrad to be a student of the business. You need to make a note on this and put a star I'm ready. by it. Okay. He was the boot maker for all the boys for years. I had no idea. Okay. I thought that the the only boot maker I remember hearing a lot about was Clifford Macias. This was prior to him and Clifford was the high dollar guy. I got you. Bill Ash made boots, nice boots, very good boots for the average guy. Mm. But for years, he was the boot maker coming in. It's like K and H made the wrestling tights for the guys. And that's just who you went with. Uh, that's when guys were making normal money. Now, once the money went up, of course, they could afford to pay more for the boots and the tights and all that stuff, have seamstresses making their stuff. But Bill Ash was the boot maker and a very good worker, too, as well. And then last but certainly not least, a name that a lot of folks have heard of but maybe don't understand what his impact was in different territories, Mr. Austin idol. What can you tell us about working with Austin or spending any time with him? Um, idol was a guy that was in control of, of, of his own destiny and me learning the business at this point in my career, I could still see that he came in and out. He was another guy that fell in love with Pensacola and bought a home there and stayed there 
that was his base for a long, long time, but he kind of called his own shots. And when he would come in, he had a full setup of merchandise, which we've talked about that was his, that he could sell, you know, before the show during intermission. And I imagine if, you know, later during the show, he was a real hustler and, uh, looked great, great promo, good physique, uh, was a veteran, you know, had been in the business, a uh, couple of different gimmicks, iron Mike McCord. And, you know, uh, I think he was in one of the plane crashes that tore his feet up. So, you know, his career was in, you know, for the longest time was, was in jeopardy. So, you know, very storied life for Austin Idol by the time I met him, but he was, you know, really a nice guy, uh, great on, great on the stick, looked good and, uh, was a businessman. And we should mention who do you think wins this 14 man battle world? Do you remember Austin idol? A fellow named Arn Anderson. Oh, that name again. You won a match. You what beat was everybody. the prize? Uh, the win Mrs. Anderson. I got, I got over then. <laughs> uh, that same day you're working a tag match. It's uh, you teaming with Jimmy golden to take on Austin idol and Mr. Olympia. How was Austin idol in the ring? Uh, let's put it to you this way. He's not going to be a, uh, bouncing ball. He enjoyed knocking the heels down. And to be honest with you, it was much easier that way. Um, he would sell, but he wasn't much of a bumper. If I recall, which meant he had been around a while and he picked and chose, you know, when he took his bumps and all that stuff and what kind of bumps he took, but he was, uh, he was so over with the crowd that when he started selling, they would get with him and he would have like a, Hulk Hogan, Hulk up routine, you know, before his comeback and all that stuff. I mean, he had it down. He was, a, you know, he's good baby face. As a, uh, performer, I've heard people say, you know, he was trying to look like superstar, but he was talking like Michael Hayes and obviously, uh, everybody borrows from somebody. Who do you think Austin idols sort of inspirations were probably, uh, that's probably close. Billy Graham, obviously with the body. Um, I want to say not, not dusty roads, but that charismatic, you know, upbeat. Yeah. Uh, um, that would be a couple of guys that came to mind and, and not that he was trying to deliver it like dusty. It was just that dusty was upbeat. He, he, he knew you knew he was having a good time. Same thing with idol. Let's, uh, let's keep it going here and talk about what's next. It's going to be a four on three handicap match, which is feeling like more and more of a trend here. Arn Anderson, Jimmy golden, Lord humongous, and the assassin all teamed together to beat Austin idol, Bob Armstrong and pork chop cash. But then we do something a little different as we get rolling into the month of February, Robert fuller is going to be in one-on-one action with you. And we haven't spent any time talking about Mr. Fuller. We, uh, a lot of us remember him as Colonel Robert Parker or Tennessee Lee. Uh, obviously that was, uh, a different era for him. Talk to us about Robert Fuller, the in-ring performer as you're working singles action with, with one of the bosses here. Well, 
since he is uh, listed on that card, that must have meant that Bob, or uh, excuse me, Robert, had just started back to work. Now, in those days, him and Ron and Bob would take some time off, you know, and Bob was pretty much a workhorse. He worked all the time, but Ron and Robert would alternate in and out with the book and booking and working and stuff. And it wasn't like when he came back, he had already been there for years and years that you had to reintroduce him. He would just put him on the card. He'd have a promo on TV and he was back in the swing of things. Uh, Robert was over in that territory, just like Ron, just like Bob, you know, just like a lot of guys, you know, that were Jimmy Golden was over. And uh, the guys that have been there for a long time, you know, the, they were established with the fans. And, you know, Robert's a big guy. You know, I don't know if that's the first thing you think about, but he's about 6'4". Yeah. You know. Wait, what do you two, mean you said you're not sure it's the first thing you think about? Well, I mean, when, when, when you hear about Robert Fuller, I think Colonel Parker, right? I don't just naturally go. The fact that the guy's a big, big dude too. On top of that, I really thought you were talking about something else that he has uh, a reputation for. Uh, well, I guess he's the champ on that. And no, we're not talking about it. He's not the crowned (laughs) champ. He's the uncrowned champ. So do not start with me with that. I'm I'm not. It's just when you said, you know, I know when you think about him as a big guy, you don't really think about how tall he was. And I was like, wait a minute. What does that mean? What are you saying? But I got you now. I, I understand. All right. Let's get it out of the way. The word on the street. Is Robert is a human tripod. Okay. I think, uh, Bruce Pritchard once told me Conrad, it had a knee in it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put to you this way. When he came up, if he was going to stop and talk to you, he'd put his kickstand down and there you were. I think, um, yeah, we should probably just move on. I got a bunch of jokes about that, but the deal is I believe that he is working with you because you're finishing up here in Southeastern championship wrestling. You're going to have this match with him on February 18th. And then on February 25th, it's a loser leaves town. Now don't forget. You just had a loser leaves town with Mr. Olympia and you being the damn heel you were, you refused to leave town. So now maybe the owner of the territory and everybody, maybe they don't know, but they have an idea that he's kind of in charge or he's one of the bosses or whatever. He's going to send your ass packing in a loser leaves town on February 25th. And I know what you're thinking. Well, what's happening? What's happening is Arn is moving to mid Atlantic championship wrestling. Uh, he's going to have his first match uh, at the mid Atlantic championship wrestling title night, 85 at the Dorton arena in Raleigh, North Carolina, or at least that's the first one I can find. Uh, and it was March 6th, 1985, but I want you to sort of set the stage for how your journey to North Carolina began. Okay. And you're a hundred percent right on this particular group of loser leave towns. I'm leaving. Yeah. And so I developed a, a friendship of sorts with Rick flair over the course of, of this year and a half, every time he would come to town, which we've discussed, I would, drive him around for the week, which was an honor to drive the world champion, take him to the gym, pick him up, take him to town, bring him back next day, start over again. And, uh, he had, uh, been very generous in 
the way he viewed my work. He said, kid, you're going to make some money, but I got to get you to Charlotte. And right now, Jimmy Crockett is looking at the other territories because Vince McMahon is plotting a takeover. I don't know if you know about it or not, but he's, he is assembling an all-star team. And so Jimmy Crockett has sent me out and the places that I'm working, he wants me to keep an eye out for special talent and talent that can help Charlotte and, uh, place is fixing to take off. You're going to want to, you've been here for a long time. Right. And I said, you know, he even recognized year and a half for, for a heels unheard of those days. He said, we want you, you know? So first go around that he hit me with that. I said, I'm not going nowhere. You know, I'm making enough to live like a King as long as I don't buy nothing. Um, and I'm living on the beach and, Met a, met a young lady and all those things that that entails. And the second go around, he said, you know, you need to go. I can make you some money. And I, and I said, Hey, you know, what, what kind of money you think I could make up there? You know, and he said, well, I don't think, you know, 1500 a week now would be, that wouldn't be something that was out of reach and it's going to get better. Right now, the territory is just down. But once we get it back going, much, much more, which to me at that point, that was a lot of money. Got to remember yeah. what, what year it was. But that was a rough estimate. So I agreed. We set up a starting date, which I was going to meet with them on March the 5th. So I took work that notice, whatever it was, two or three weeks. Um, I want to make sure that I did everything that I could for, uh, you know, Southeastern continental, which whatever you want to call it before I left, I want to work a notice because in those days I thought I might want to come back sometime. Right. And Bob had told me, Hey, yeah, man, go make your money. You know, you, you're going to make some money. You're going to be a star in this business. You go ahead. You're, you're welcome here anytime. And Ron told me the same thing. And so, you know, I was good. I was leaving the right way. And I worked those matches with uh, Robert all around till the TVs caught up. Back then, you were like two weeks behind on the TV. So you would have to catch up with the loser leave towns and, and all that stuff. And I ended up leaving. Uh, what was the date of that last match that you had? End of February, uh, February 25th, 20th. 1985. That could have been the last one because I started March the 5th, TV, 1985 in Charlotte. It's summer, camping season. Let's talk about pitching tents. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can also help in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready wherever an opportunity arises. Maybe whenever. Maybe it's whenever or wherever. You know the deal. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. 
And the best part, it's all done online. So there's no doctor's visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacies. And how about this? Bluetooth tablets? Well, they're made right here in the USA. Prepared and shipped direct to your door, all in a discreet package. I got to tell you, this is a, uh, a delivery that everybody's excited to see here at the house. Remember when you were a kid and it was a big deal to get mail? Then you grow up and eventually realize it's mostly junk mail or bills. This is a package that everybody's excited to get. <laughs> uh, check it out. This is for you. If you're looking for extra benefit, if you're looking for extra confidence, if you're looking for extra five-star reviews, if you're looking for extra wide smiles around the house, you got to get that extra boost from Blue Chew. And if you think it's time you use a little extra confidence, maybe you could benefit when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free. For free. For free. When you use our promo code ARN, A-R-N, at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is ARN, and you'll receive your first month for free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. But before we get going on all things Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and we're going to be talking about that next week, I want to put a bow on what you called the best year and a half of your life. Southeastern Championship Wrestling or Continental, whatever you want to call it. It was very much the fuller territory, and I wanted to do it justice. And we've had such a great time talking about your times there. I mean, my goodness gracious, the famous stories about the pot roast and now the repossessed car and uh, who could forget Boris with the 21 pieces of chicken mating the future Mrs. Lundy and so much more. What better way to put a bow on your journey through thousands? What better way to put a bow on your journey through Southeastern Championship Wrestling than to have a very special guest on? That's right. We're making an exception. We're changing the format. We're throwing out the rule book for a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. Our first guest ever in the history of Arn. It's the Tennessee stud, Mr. Ron Fuller. Mr. Fuller, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm great, Conrad. Uh, so glad to be on, man, with you guys. We are excited to talk to you. We've had a lot of fun talking about the good old days, the territory days, if you will, of professional wrestling. And we just wrapped up Arn's run in Southeastern championship wrestling, but a lot of great stuff happened to him. He got to brush up against the Armstrongs. He got to spend some time with, uh, Mr. Olympia and, and, and all about Mr. Stubbs, but maybe more importantly, Arn met the love of his life working in your old territory. And we wanted to just celebrate the good old days with you today. Oh, I appreciate it, guys, man. Uh, Arn is a just a tremendous guy, uh, one of the best, if not the best worker we ever had uh, that came through and became a star. And uh, and I know he got married in uh, Pensacola, and, man, uh, and I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, just uh, uh, it's a pleasure anytime I have an opportunity to talk to Arn. Well, and he feels the same way about you. He talks about you and your entire family in such loving terms. And we've got a lot of younger listeners who really only knew Arn's work in WCW. And, and of course they're catching him these days on AEW as the Anderson legacy continues through his son, Brock, but you know, all about growing up in a wrestling family, sort of set the stage for some of our younger listeners who may not know about the Fullers and the Welches. Well, we, um, we go back uh, further than just about anybody. Uh, I come from the oldest and the largest wrestling family on the planet. Uh, my grandfather, Roy Welch, started in 1924. 
I've got more than 20 members of my family that either wrestled or refereed or promoted. Uh, we come from a, from a uh, family of wrestlers, not just wrestlers, but promoters as well. Uh, my grandfather started the first uh, Tennessee Territory, which at one time was uh, having matches in 12 states across the South. Uh, then my father uh, started wrestling, and he became a wrestling promoter. Uh, there's some phenomenal crowds in some very odd places, uh, almost 40,000 people in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, maybe Atlanta's uh, largest uh, crowd, or one, certainly one of their largest in 1965. Uh, and uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, one of its largest crowds ever. Uh, so my father was in it. Uh, I have uh, a generation uh, of wrestlers. Uh, had, there was four people in my fa my family's uh, original group: uh, Roy Welch, Herb Welch, Jack Welch, and Lester Welch. And uh, and they all had sons, a lot of sons, a lot of boys in the family. All of them turned into wrestlers. Uh, and we had another offshoot of family. Uh, make a long story short, we are the biggest and the oldest in the, in all the sport and and uh some of us were wrestlers some of us were wrestlers and promoters uh, uh some referees we've done just about all of it and and uh it's uh it's a it's a, quite a legacy i come from and uh and, and i'm really uh, uh i'm really pleased to be able to uh to say i'm a part of the welch family the fields family the fuller family i mean you know uh it's a, it's a pretty much it's been a dynasty. It really has. The legacy continues. I mean, even to this day, you, you guys impact has been, uh, phenomenal on the professional wrestling industry. And what's fascinating to me is you really, uh, made not just a living, but, uh, dozens of guys came through this territory and cut their teeth and made not just their living, but their legacies. And it happened in, for lack of a better word, a rather economically depressed area. You know, this wasn't New York city. This is Florida and, and Tennessee and Alabama. And you were doing something that these days is almost unheard of. You weren't, you know, coming to a major market three or four times a year. You're going to be back in these same towns every seven days or so. And you had to find a creative way to sell those same folks tickets over and over and over. And that meant you had to get pretty creative, which is why some of the more creative concepts in wrestling were born out of this area. Would that be fair to say? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, that, that is fair to say, Conrad. Uh, yeah, but, um, uh, we were, we had to be very creative. You're right about that. And we did, uh, we introduced a whole lot of people, uh, into wrestling, uh, trained a lot of guys, uh, gave guys that were just getting in like Arn an opportunity. And, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, uh, honky tonk, man, uh, Brutus, the barber, uh, uh, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable. How many David Schultz, uh, uh, just, uh, Arn right up there on top. I mean, uh, probably, uh, 15, 20 of the, of the great stars in the, in the history of the sport, uh, came from our areas, either Southeastern wrestling out of Knoxville or, uh, Southeastern out of Pensacola, continental wrestling later on, uh, Doug furnace, uh, lit, you know, just, uh, uh, it, we trained a whole lot of guys. We gave guys opportunity and, uh, you know, uh, guys like Arn went on to really, really make us proud. And, uh, 
And uh, once we uh, we took those young guys that were going to become stars, and we we let them go when they had that opportunity, and they came and said, "Ron, I can go here, or I can go there. Or what do you think?" I, I never held any, but not a single one of them back. I always said, "Go do it, man. It's your time. Go get it. And go become, go become the man." You know what? I, I got to jump in right there. It, uh, you did exactly right that, Ryan. You know, I, I go back and I've, over the years, I haven't done a lot of podcasts or interviews for that matter where I talk about just my career. As you know, being a heel back in the old days meant you were a heel 24-7. And uh, I didn't talk about it, but, but you know, lately the last few years or I have uh, had the opportunity to go back and talk about, you know, and I call it the greatest year and a half of my career was working for you down there. And uh, it's where I really honed my craft in the ring. My, you gave me the opportunity to screw up a bunch of promos on those market specs and do them over and get them <laughs> right. Give me some advice on what I was doing wrong. And more than anything, let me have fun and enjoy the business the way I pictured it as an eight-year-old. You know, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else my entire life but being a wrestler. It's all I wanted to do. And you gave me that opportunity, and it, it was like the family atmosphere down there was was second to none. It was so relaxed. Just show up on time. And excel at your job. That was the only requirements you put on anybody, man. How e how easy is that? And uh, uh, you know, all those years we were living like rock stars in the Crockett era. Uh, people say, "Well, wasn't that the greatest time ever?" No, no, it wasn't. It was living eight minutes from the beach, working for the Fullers and the Armstrongs, and getting to go out every night and just have a blast wrestling. And that's the part that I've love most about this business, you know, is just the wrestling end of it. And I appreciate you letting me cut my teeth and, and figure out who I was and what I was for that year and a half that I was with you. I will be forever eternally grateful. Well, Arn, you've earned everything that you've got, my man. You know, I'm, uh, we knew it right away, uh, you know, and, and uh, you and I have talked, uh, you have been on some of my stud casts and, uh, you know, uh, you, you've just, uh, your experience with, uh, Bob, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, and the way you came in as a young guy and so humble and, and, and just wanting to have opportunity and right away, uh, Bob and I talked many times on the road, uh, going home after matches and said, you know, Arn Anderson is going to be a huge star. And, uh, you know, it, it couldn't happen to a better guy. I mean, it's not Thank just you. Uh, you weren't just the best in the ring. Uh, you were the best out of the ring. Uh, you, you never caused any problems. Uh, you did your job and you did it wonderfully. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate that. It means a lot. It really does. Mr. Fuller, what were you looking right. for when you're running that territory back in the day, when you're trying to scout new talent or find new guys to put on the card? What were some of the intangibles or, or little things you were looking for in a guy that you thought, Hey, I could make money with him or I'd like to work with him. Well, you know, I used to like to talk to guys and Bob did the same thing. We both, uh, we both booked at the same time and we were in business together for many, many years, Bob Armstrong and I, and, uh, 
Bob, uh, I like to talk to guys like I did. You can tell a whole lot about a person if you can spend five minutes with them and just uh, to see what they're all about. And, uh, you know, uh, we were we were both impressed by Arn right off the bat. Uh, and then, you know, then you got to have some talent. Uh, you, it's, it's a little bit important about how you were trained. Uh, but uh, we, we, we trained so many guys and we gave so many young, so much young talent, the opportunity that, uh, you know, we, uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, take them into the ring and train them in that, in that respect that much. Uh, we tried to train them with uh, just how we ran our company, uh, how we ran our business. Uh, the guys would get a feel for uh, how, how it should be done. And, uh, and the way we did it was, as, as Arn said, uh, we made it fun. We didn't make uh, we weren't didn't have all these crazy rules that you got to do this and that. Uh, we weren't like Bill Watts. Sometimes it was a little bit overbearing and he he pushed a little too hard. But we wanted our guys to have fun, and we wanted them to learn. And uh, I guess B, you you touched on that creativity, and that being creative, and then having all these different types of matches, and having all these different types of finishes that a lot of territories weren't doing. Uh, it gave those guys opportunity to learn, to learn the business from a different side. And, uh, it, uh, it, it worked out well for us and boy, it worked out really well for a whole lot of other guys uh, like Arn. Boy, it did it. Talk me through some of your, uh, challenges as a booker or as a promoter, when you do have to put on your creative hat, because some of the times you've got a reshuffle the deck and create new matches because we're going to be in the same arena, largely in front of these same fans next week. How, how was that different than what we're seeing these days? And I know you're not necessarily booking wrestling these days, but I'm just fascinated by you're successful in spite of the fact that it's the same fans every week. How do you keep them coming back? Can you take me through the creative process? Oh, well, yeah, I can, I can certainly try. Um, uh, is booking booking is a critical part of all the wrestling business uh and uh you know uh, we couldn't do what other places did because we had to, we didn't have we only had so many large cities and we had to go there every week uh we had to be creative and we had to do something different every week uh, we actually probably uh more than any other territories uh, ran these programs with families. We and and we had to turn guys from babyface to heel, and sometimes back to babyface within a one-year period of time. Uh, we utilized talent in a different way than most territories did. Uh, we liked to keep guys that were really good uh, for a little longer than most territories kept them, uh, because uh, of uh, the way we they, they we could utilize them. Uh, uh, Southeastern Wrestling, uh, my first company in Knoxville that I started in 1974. I had Ronnie Garvin in there as a, as a heel to begin with. I turned him babyface. Uh, I turned him heel over a four-year period of time. Uh, uh, we just did tremendous business with him as, as one of those guys. Uh, uh, then myself and Bob Armstrong, we were, we were, we were on part of the company, so obviously – we utilized uh, our talents as best we could. Uh, I wrestled. I started heel in Pensacola, turned babyface, turned back heel, had a Tennessee stud, formed a stable, uh, brought in a bunch of different uh, heels uh, as part of the stable. And I was all the time after Bob Armstrong uh, trying to get his, uh, 
then uh, got him in a loser leave town match. He came back, put a mask on, called himself the Bullet. Uh, we rode that for many, many years. Uh, his sons grew up. Brad Armstrong, one of the greatest workers of all time. Uh, and uh, Scott and Steve, all those boys joined their father. And my brother and my cousin, Jimmy Golden, joined the stable. And we just kept uh, running this the same group, basically uh, probably no more than 30 wrestlers over a six-year period of time. And, uh, and just kept drawing money to selling out buildings uh, week after week. Storyline was so important as a booker. Your TV wasn't just to have four matches on it. You wanted to have four matches, but you wanted to have three angles. You wanted to have something going with everybody. And you never wanted your fans to get stale to where they are you to get stale and make them disinterested. Uh, you, te- you kept something going all the time that fans were. We're going, wow, look at this. What are they doing now? Wow, this happened last week. Uh, and that happens the next week. Uh, you, you had to work hard. You, you, had to, you, you had to be creative on your TV, but you had to be creative in your house show, too, because you had to get them back the following week. And, and it was different. It was, uh, it was probably difficult, but it was always fun. And, uh, and, you know, you're dealing with these young guys like Arn was when he came in. Uh, that's really talented guys, and you and you you watch them grow. That's that was so. Uh, it was a, just a, such a big uh, thing to to sit back and watch their matches and go, wow, this guy's getting better every week. And uh, you know, give them the right matches, give them the right angles. Uh, you go in there and you work hard for them every night, and you go back in that town sold out the next week. Uh, it's a it's a great life. There was no business ever better than the professional wrestling business. Amen. Okay, guys, now uh, something a little different. I can't believe this is real, but this past January, Alabama was playing in the national championship game, and I got a random challenge on Twitter from a guy that most of you probably know. It's a great friend of the show, Mr. Gregory Iron. He has a podcast called Iron on Wrestling. And, uh, his tag team partner on that show, Aaron Bauer is a diehard Ohio state fan. And we made a bet and the bet was if Ohio won, I had to give those guys free commercials on all of our podcasts. And if Alabama won, which they did, Aaron had to get a tattoo that was done by Greg. Yes. Permanent ink on his body and not just any old tattoo. Aaron had to get an Arn tattoo and he did. I can't believe this is real. Iron on wrestling now is so committed to honoring their word that these two knuckleheads tattooed each other. It's real. So I'm encouraging you, even though this was not part of the deal, I feel like they went above and beyond. Seriously, go check out Aaron Bauer on Twitter or go check out our boy, Greg iron on uh, Twitter. You know, Greg, Greg's all over the place. You've seen his stuff. He's inspirational. He's motivational. He's a good dude, but he's uh, what's that phrase that, what, what was that thing that Jerry used to say back in the day? Pet coon goofy. I don't really know what that means, but these guys are goofy. If they're tattooing orange logo on their body and they did, but I do want to go ahead and plug their podcast. These guys are a lot of fun. Iron on wrestling is a weekly podcast hosted by pro wrestling mainstay, Gregory iron, the only professional wrestler with cerebral palsy 
and a veteran pro wrestling commentator, promoter, and manager, Aaron Bauer. I want to reiterate, they got a tattoo. For over a hundred episodes, Greg and Air have not only provided listeners with entertaining segments and in-depth breakdowns of match structure and psychology, but they discuss forgotten indie wrestling moments, the classic wrestling characters and memories that we all grew up loving from the eighties and nineties and beyond. And they have insightful, deep, and often hilarious conversations with some of the biggest and fastest rising stars in the industry. Past episodes include stone cold, Steve Austin. Johnny Gargano, Dan Housen, Tommy Dreamer, Effie, Trey Miguel, Warhorse, Kurt Stallion, Kimberly, Brian Pillman Jr., and so many more. Iron on Wrestling drops every Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, check out the bonus content at patreon.com forward slash iron on wrestling, where you can get early and extended episodes, videos, over a hundred bonus episodes, and you can get in on monthly zoom chats with Greg and air. You can select bonus episodes and so much more, whether you're a fan, an aspiring wrestler, or currently active in the business, you'll find something to love in this show. It's iron on wrestling and listen, take it from me. This is a personal endorsement. Of all the wrestling podcasts out there, this is certainly one of them. It's Iron On Wrestling, and they got an iron tattoo. What the fuck is wrong with these guys? Check them out. Iron On Wrestling. You got to see this picture. Brian, I, I have a question, and it's just, I'm such a fan of the history of the business, and, you know, it's um, it's like you don't get to hear the guys that came before me, Scott Amati, I'm a million, but I wanted to be a wrestler about eight years old. And from the point I was hooked, that's all I ever wanted to do. But it was something, it was like a pipe dream to me. You growing up in the business and your father and grandfather being in, was it a foregone conclusion that you were going to be a wrestler? It was just a question of when you were old enough to start wrestling. Was, was that kind of a uh, family deal that, Hey, Ron and Robert are going to be wrestlers and that's it period. Or was it a choice or. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, he pushed us a little bit to wrestle, but, uh, let's go back to my, my grandfather. And, uh, when my dad was born and uh, started wanting to be a wrestler and started training to be a wrestler, my granddad uh, didn't want him to be a wrestler. He kind of uh, pushed him away from it so much so that my dad, uh, quit before he actually got really started as a wrestler uh, and learned how to weld and went to Chicago and started as a, as a welder in Chicago, basically gave up on wrestling early on and then came back to it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, for me, I grew up always wanting to be a wrestler uh, and I was a pretty decent basketball player. I ended up uh, playing ball in uh, college at Clemson and university of Miami and, uh, you know, and I could have maybe gone and become a pro. I was pretty decent at it, but I never had any thoughts about doing anything else other than being a wrestler. And part of that, Arn, is uh, you probably, well, you, and it's a great story. Uh, when you were on, on with me, I really loved your eight-year-old story. When you called your buddy up, you'd watch the TV <laughs> and you said, come down, man, come on down here. I want to see you to, you got to see what's going on. And you went and put a mask on and you got your rope out and you, and you hid up on the couch. And when he came in the door, you jumped off on his back and choked him out with you. I mean, you know, that, uh, 
that I was like that as a heel. I mean, as a as a, a young young uh, young guy, uh, you know, from five years. I went to my first wrestling match at nine days old. I don't remember any of it, but my <laughs> grandfather Roy and his two brothers Herb and Lester uh, all wrestled in the six man tag. I was nine days old first time I went to a wrestling match, and so I grew up watching. And when you grow up watching it night after night, uh, wow, uh, match after match, a star after star, uh, angle after angle, it's, it's, it, it gets in your blood. And, uh, you know, I was third, third generation, so, you know, it's really in my blood. And I, I never, ever considered doing anything else other than being a wrestler. Me too, yeah. <laughs> it just, you know, it's it's – when you've done it that long and it's that generational like that, it's not even like you give it a second thought of, Hey, this is the family business. How can I fit in? How can I contribute? You know? And I had that, that same attitude, you know, people ask me all the time, are you, you know, are you disappointed about your career that you were never the world champion or never the top guy in a territory or, or all that stuff that that was never my wish to be the world champion or, you know, to be the Hulk Hogan of any particular territory. I just had this thing stuck in the back of my head was I just wanted to be one of the guys that when the other lineup, whether it be, I was a heel or a baby face or whatever it was, I wanted that other locker room to be talking to the booker or promoter or whatever and saying, Hey, I want to work with that guy. Yeah, that, that was my aspiration. And I figured the money and everything, if I could achieve that would come. Yes. And it, it did for you, Arn. And, uh, and you certainly earned it. And, uh, you're exactly right, man. You, you just want to be a part of it. You, you don't, uh, you know, I didn't aspire to become a, a big time promoter. I just, I just wanted to get my tights on. I wanted to get in that ring. I just wanted to do what my dad did and what I saw my granddad do, you know, and, uh, you know, and then things worked out to where I, I went the way that my dad and my granddad went and I ended up running my own companies and my own businesses. And wow. And dealing with young guys like you was such a thrill. It was just, a, it was, it was so pleasing, man, to get the guy that uh, had your attitude involved and in your dressing room and like you say and that went on you were healed i was a baby face a lot of times when you were healed in that territory and uh and guys would go uh i want to work with arn man can they figure me an angle with arn you know and i and i wasn't surprised you know <laughs> well, i don't blame you man <laughs> we all want to work with arn <laughs> you know even, even the top guys wanted to work with arn so you know i mean uh it it's a it's a great professional wrestling is it, it, it hurts me to see where we are nowadays, you know, as compared to what it was in the 80s. But back in my granddad's day and my dad's day and wow, in the 70s and the 80s, it was just unbelievable lifestyle. Uh, there wasn't any better thing you could have done. I don't know how any other sport could have had more fun or been in a, a better lifestyle than professional wrestlers. 
I'm curious, you know, when you're talking about the good old days and you're talking about the eighties, especially the late seventies and early eighties, the territories are thriving. I mean, I think Memphis had their best years in the early eighties. And, and I'm curious to hear when you think your best years were, but you had attractions, you had the touring NWA world heavyweight champion who would come through the territories from time to time. And you had really big attractions, literally like Andre, the giant. Do you have any good Andre, the giant stories you can share with us today? <laughs> oh yeah, I got a oh I got all kinds of Andre stories. Uh, Andre was one of my greatest friends, uh, and he started coming wrestling for me in Southeastern Wrestling in Knoxville uh, back in. Uh, he I think his first appearance there was probably in 1975, and uh, Andre fell in love with Knoxville, and he told me uh, after his second trip there, he says, "Ron, I want you to call Vince and tell Vince." to put me here as much as he can. You know, he just, he just loved coming there. Uh, I got one for you, Conrad. Uh, uh, I picked him up. Uh, I got him. I set him up into a hotel that had a lounge right next to it, a big nightclub, because Andre liked to drink a little bit. And he had a great time, man. And he would go in there. And uh, I picked him up to take him back to the airport to fly out one morning. And I he was early and I asked him, I said, have you eaten? And he said, no, Ron, uh, no, I haven't. And I said, uh, uh, well, let, we'll stop and get some food before I take you. I got time to go to a restaurant. So we went to a Waffle House. That was Andre's favorite restaurant. Turned out, I said, where do you want to go? And he says, Waffle House. So I said, okay, we'll go to Waffle House. It was in the morning. Uh, we sat down at the table. And the girl came, the waitress came, and she recognized him. It's back when he had the big hair, the real big hair. His hair was six feet off of the top of his head. He looked like he was seven, eight. You know, and he, he so, so she recognized him, and uh, she, she, he was ordering. He, and we both had the menu. You know, you, if you've been in Waffle House, it's got a breakfast menu on one side. You flip the menu over, and it's got the, the, other, the other, the afternoon and the dinner meals. And so uh, I'm looking at it and to breakfast, and I get out of the breakfast, and then she says, uh, what do you want, Mr. Giant? <laughs> Mr. Giant. Oh, I cracked up. <laughs> so he says, uh, he says, uh, I-, I want, uh, I want uh, breakfast. And uh, she says, yes, yeah, okay, what are you having? What do, what do you want? And he, he had the front side of the menu, and he, he showed it to her, and he says, I want the menu. She says, you've got the menu, Mr. Jack. And he says, no, no. He says, I want everything on the menu. Oh, my. <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> she, she almost fell on the floor. And she said, you want everything on the front side, on the on the breakfast side of the menu? Yes, yes, yes. And then she was going to walk away. And he goes, no, no, come back, come back, come back. And she came back and he says, uh, he turned the menu over and he says, I want this side too. (laughs) 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 So they say, and they, you know, so she went and told the cook and they know it was uh, just turning lunchtime, you know, just the end of breakfast and they were about to start to roll over to doing lunches. And, uh, and I heard this big conversation back there and he's like, he wants what, you know, (laughs) he wants all of it. Uh, both sides. 
uh, they started bringing this food and uh, we were going to miss the plane. I mean, uh, we sat there, we, Andre just kept eating and eating and they would bring one course and then they would take the plates away and they bring another. Finally, I've finished my breakfast and I just kind of backed off and let them fill the table. And then they'd take the table away and they'd fill the table. And it was like, oh my gosh, well, people were lined up. They were watching from outside the windows and them to bring the food. So uh, Andre was a real trip and a crazy, crazy dude to, to be around and a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. Uh, Andre had a great sense of humor. And a lot of people probably don't realize that about him, but uh, I made a lot of trips with him and, Oh, he was such fun to be around. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by old Andre stories. And, uh, obviously Arn's career has been synonymous with Ric Flair and the four horsemen. And he's probably the last NWA touring world champion. I'm sure you got a, a Ric Flair story in your back pocket. You can share with us today. Don't you? I got, I got two of them, uh, you know, right. The jump out right, right away, man. Uh, one of them has to do with Arn. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, Rick would come in and he'd say he would stay a week in uh, Southeastern in Pensacola and then Continental, too. And uh, when he came, uh, Arn would take him around. I think I went to Arn originally and said, you know, I need somebody to carry Rick around. And Arn was like, well, Arn really wanted to learn everything he could about the business. And he jumped on it. He was like, are you serious, Ron? You want me to take Rick Flair? I said, I want you to take him every town and every time, place. I'll take him out after the matches. I want you to handle, to be there for Rick. And he was just like, oh, gosh, man. It was a big honor for him. Anyway, we were wrestling in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and it's a six-man tag. It's me and Bob Armstrong and my brother against Arn and Jerry Stubbs and and Rick Flair. And, uh, and uh, early in the match, Arn starts the match, and he's doing these, these phenomenal – he's calling these high spots. And, I mean, one right after another with all of us baby faces, you know. We'd tag in, we'd bump him, man, we'd tag out, and then he'd just have another high spot for the next guy, another high. He's got this crowd going crazy. And he, he he calls a spot and he hits the rope. So you drop down or relief frog or whatever it was. I can't remember. It might have been my brother in the ring with him. And Arn hit the top rope, broke on the ring, and he went out on the. He went upside down and disappeared the, off the apron. You couldn't see how he landed, but I, I knew he had to have landed on the back of his head. Maybe broke his neck. It was one of those deals where Bob Armstrong and I on the apron. And we look at each other and go, oh, my God, man, he's, he's dead. He, they might have killed him, Mark. And we got off the apron and walked around to the corner and looked. And, and he, he was already <laughs> Flair jumped off. Dude, Flair, Flair must have – he saw it because he was right there where it happened. And he was already down there. And he was helping Arn up. And Arn was just, like, almost popping up on his feet. And I was like, wow, man, I was so happy to see he was alive. And then I figured, you know, well, you know, he'll get up on the apron and Flair will tag in or, or Stubbs will tag in. And Arn, Arn got right back in the ring. And Flair saying, come here, come here, man. You, you just took this horrible bump. You got to get out. And Arn's Arn shaking his head. No, no, no. I'm going to still go. And he started right back into it again. I was like, wow. I, I told Arn, you know, I said, I think that was the night that uh, Ric Flair fell in love with him, man. That Ric Flair really saw what Arn was all about. 
And uh, so Rick used to come into the territory and he would go out on these nights with Arn and, uh, and always he wanted to take all the heels in the whole crew. He, he would, whatever town it was in, especially like a Pensacola on a Sunday night, he wanted to take the whole crew out to the bar afterward with him on Dolphin on Fridays. He would do it. Everybody had to go to the bar with Rick and he would buy the kamikazes, bomb drinks. This one particular drink called a kamikaze. And uh, he would, uh, he'd have all of them drinking their drinks, man. Wow. Just, uh, and then they, they would all get drunk and, uh, Arn told me that in a conversation, <laughs> he says, Ron, he says, he said he was getting all of us drunk for years. And then Rick would get them drunk. And the deal was between me and Rick is Rick would get them drunk, especially on a Friday night because he knew they had TV on Saturday. And then he would, he would try to get them to book him so that he had to leave on Saturdays. So he'd be there like from Saturday to the next Friday. And he'd get everybody drunk and the crew on a, on a Friday night, and then he'd leave the territory. And uh, I'd get the TV, and he knew what time we were doing TV. He would call the TV station, Flairwood, and he would say, uh, uh, get Ron Fuller, please, to come to the phone. <laughs> and I would, I'm would i having a deal with him. And they're all laying on the ring, man. You know, they, we're cutting interviews. There's nobody in the studio but just the cameraman. And uh, they're laying on the floor and now the ring and hanging off the sides of chairs and they're all dead, right? And, and uh, he would he would get me on the phone, Flair would get me on the phone and he would start laughing. He would go, uh, hey, Ron, how do they live? <laughs> oh, Rick, <laughs> son of a governor. You've done it to him again. <laughs> Man, we are saving people money left and right over at SaveWithConrad.com, but don't take my word for it. Check out ConradReviews.com. Here's what you'll find over there. A five-star review from Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He says, once again, Conrad and his team hit a home run. Jimmy, as always, kept in constant communication during the whole process, gave us options, and made the process smooth and easy. Who knew listening to a wrestling podcast would help me out financially? And here's another five-star review from Ian F. in Pottstown, PA. Always fast to respond to any questions I had, and boy, did I have a lot. Thankfully, they cut two years off my mortgage and saved $80,000 over the life of the loan. $80,000? Are you kidding me? He's a wrestling fan who listens to this podcast just like you and his family, and his family gets to keep an extra $80,000. Now, without calling SaveWithConrad.com, they would have worked for that money, paid taxes on it, and then just given it away. Don't do that. Keep more of your own money. Hurry to savewithconrad.com. And I'm talking to you if you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much. Rates are at near historic lows, and there's never been a better time to refinance than right now. Your house is worth more than ever. You have more equity than ever before. And what does that represent to you? The biggest opportunity to change your life financially once and for all. You can get the best rate you've ever had on a mortgage. You can get rid of all your credit card debt, saving five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And here's the deal, guys. Once you owe this money, it's up to you how you pay it back. Doesn't it make sense to pay it back at the cheapest rate possible and the greatest tax deduction possible? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity and you need to take advantage of it. You can even pull some cash out to do some remodeling around the house. What if some of that equity you've got, you used to put a pool in the back? or maybe add a new office, or even better, a man cave? Come on, get you some of that. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you too right now. And again, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, 
We won't waste your time. Punch it in at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Check it out. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. I said, I got to, you got to start leaving the territory on a Sunday, man. <laughs> so that, uh, then it's for Saturday. So that I got to change your schedule, man. But, uh, oh, it was a, Flair was a tremendous, what a ter- great worker. I mean, he and, he and, uh, he and I had a, one of the greatest matches I ever had in, uh, 1982 in Mobile, Alabama. And Bob Armstrong was a baby face. I was a baby face. And Bob and I had wrestled the week before in the finals of the tournament to see who's going to wrestle Flair. And, uh, Bob, I beat Bob. And then Bob came on TV with me after that match was over. We showed the, the match between me and Bob. And then he said, Ron, uh, you know, uh, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, to can you, will you allow me? To, to referee he says i think you're going to be the world champion you're going to beat rick flair next week and i just want to be in the ring in some form and that, that's the only place i can do that is be a referee so i just want to be there to count him out ron when you win that big belt you know that type of deal and i go oh god bobby you're serious man i'd be honored man unbelievable and he turned on me that night and uh, and, uh Rick and I are in the dressing room with Bob and we're talking about the finish and I'd already thought about what I wanted to do and and we started into the finish and about halfway through the finish it was going to be really really hot uh, we're in the big building in Mobile that held uh, 15,000 it was, it was packed and uh, he says uh, I get halfway through and Rick goes to me he says Ron whoa 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 he goes uh you're going to get us killed. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, Rick, no, no, no. I'm, you know, the cops are great here. And I started making all these excuses. But Rick was so real. He was like, oh. And then he just kept walking the rest of the, the, rest of the night, the matches. Uh, he just was walking the hallways before we went to the ring. <laughs> he just kept shaking his head like, oh, God, no, we're not going to make it through this. And, uh so, you know, Rick was a tremendous athlete, a great guy, and uh, we're still friends, talk quite a bit. You know, a footnote to that, Ron, <clears throat> people don't understand this, but the greatest feeling in the world is to do something like that and the fans to beat the shit out of you all the way to the locker room because they're so <laughs> mad and even better is the next week, once that aired and got on TV, they would beat you up trying to get to the ring for your match. You knew you had done something special, and it had worked. It was immediate. Yeah. Oh, man, and uh, you're right. You know, and uh, having healed a lot like you aren't, uh, you know, uh, it, it was it was fun. It was almost fun to, to make them mad, to oh, get yeah. them as mad as you possibly could, uh, uh, you know, and I've been in the riots. I've had them cut me. I've had them, I've been cut. I, I got cut in the ring. Uh, you know, I'll get hit in the chair with, hit in the head with a chair from behind the same riot. And uh, I've been in all kinds of riots. And, you know, uh, when you get to the dressing room and you're still in one piece, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of funny. 
I mean, I, I found myself sometimes laughing about it. And did you grab that mark? And I saw you throw him through the bleachers, into the wall. He went through the bleachers and didn't touch nothing to hit the wall. I mean, it was just things like that that just, it made the, the sport uh, totally unique to any other sport. Mr. Fuller, I'm curious about, you know, the, the territory system and how it worked in regards to guys coming in and knowing how long they were going to be there sort of when they started, you know, we've often heard the phrase, well, you should rent, don't buy, but Arn tells us, well, it's not like you didn't know what was coming. How would you request talent from other promoters and sort of work out what their start and finish dates were when a guy came in? And was that not always the case? Sometimes it just worked out. They were happy. You were happy. And you just kept them a long time. Like Arn was there for gosh, I guess a year and a half. Uh, we did things business differently. Um, it was really funny. Uh, when I started Southeastern in, in Knoxville, uh, we didn't, we, it took me almost two years to get that business really, really cooking and on fire. And uh, I was struggling to get talent during that time frame, and uh, you know, uh, and then w- calling a lot of different promoters and calling the, and asking them who you got and who can I get. I, I was desperate, but boy, once it started selling out, and once everything, every town was selling out. Uh, wrestlers were like the old saying was, uh, you know, if you wanted a, a message to get sent, it was a tele- telephone, telegraph, or telewrestler. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and that's the way it worked. Uh, once that thing started to get on fire, the strips were really short in both my territories, which was a real benefit to us. Uh, so you, the, your longest trip in Knoxville was uh, less about 120 miles. And most trips were 40 miles. (laughs) So, you know, it was just basically a one town territory and you ran all the small towns around it. And once you started selling out like that, I never did ever have to go and ask anybody for talent or to help me find somebody. My phone rang off the wall with guys wanting to come, you know, and they didn't care about how long it was going to be. They were just like, Ron, I hear you're, you're on fire there. And I and I hear we had guys making in the smallest territory probably in the in the world at that time, the southeastern, a little small area around Knoxville. We had guys making twelve and fifteen hundred dollars a week when when other territories were making seven hundred. Uh, you know, so we had tremendous talent and uh, and it was easy to easy to keep them. Uh, my problem was in 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 getting getting them to go. I would I would go and tell somebody, you know, look, uh, and it got to be so bad that Bob Armstrong was with me all the time. Uh, I got I got that down face and I got that really uh, depressed look out of them. I couldn't take it. It really hurt me. So I told Bob at one point. I said, Bob, you're going to have to give notices. And he goes, why, Ron? I said, because I can't take it. I go, then none of them want to go. Then they all want to go. No, Ron, please. You know, it's like, I I, I love it here. So, you know, it was easy for us. It wasn't, I don't know how everybody else did. And I don't know uh, uh, that everybody else called around. I think that probably a lot of guys did that. A lot of promoters kind of dealt with each other quite a bit. Only person I dealt with much on a regular basis, and not a regular basis, I dealt with nobody on a regular basis. Sometimes 
uh, Jerry Jarrett in Memphis and I would swap a little talent because it made sense. We were about 400 miles apart, and most of his guys were in Nashville. So uh, we, I got a few guys from Jerry, and I would give him a few guys from me. And then when guys leave me, they would go to Jerry a lot. And when they left Memphis, they would come to my side of the state. But uh, it, it was a kind of a unique territory. I found out that once you get on fire and once you get your territory cranked up, if you've got short trips, that's what wrestlers were looking for. They were beating themselves to death on the roads before they started flying. And they, it was just uh, horrible. It was you were in Florida, Carolina. Wow, that's a that's a big one. I mean, you didn't have very uh, short trips. Uh, guys were willing to work for half the money if they could get a short trip. Adfreeshows.com has more to offer than I can handle. I'm debating quitting my job to listen full time. Rebel every other Sunday? Yes, please. Yeah, these are real statements from brand new members at adfreeshows.com. They made the jump and now it's your turn. From Q&As with today's top stars to brand new bonus content and video conferencing with wrestling legends, adfreeshows.com is the missing piece to your wrestling fandom. It's access you gain to Hall of Fame talent that you won't find anywhere else, all while enjoying your favorite wrestling podcasts early and ad-free. Join today and begin a journey like none other. Don't miss out. Sign up today and find out what all the buzz is about over at adfreeshows.com. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing to look back at because as we're talking about Orange journey through the territories, he's telling us how miserable the road trips were working for Bill Watts and how guys didn't just have one spare tire. They had two because the roads were so bad and the trips were so long. And then it gets to you and you're in your bed every night and you're on the beach every day. It's a, uh, it's a quality of life that, that he couldn't have anywhere else. And that's probably why so many great talents. I mean, a who's who came through the territory Rattle off a list of names. I mean, we've talked about Ric Flair and we've talked about Andre the Giant, but it really does read like a who's who who worked for your promotion through the years. Oh, man. Uh, you know, all kinds of the, the Schultz, David Schultz started there, Joel Duke, Mongolian Stomper, uh, uh, Austin Idol. Uh, gosh, I, I wish I had some sheets in front of me. I mean, literally, we had uh, Paul Ondorf work for my company, uh, uh, to, like I said, uh, to Honky Tonk Man before he was Honky Tonk Man, and uh, Brutus the Barber, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan was in there. Uh, you had so many great, great wrestlers and the great, great talent. Tag teams were just a uh, Arn and and, and Stubbs and uh, the uh, Sheep Herders. Uh, the, you know, the, it just it was a, it was an amazing little deal, man, and it, it was a wonderful time frame. Uh, business was really, really good. Mobile was actually, I mean, uh, uh, Knoxville was actually even better trip wise than Pensacola was. I mean, um, you'd be in uh, Knoxville on a Friday and your Saturday night, you'd be 40 miles away in Morristown, or you'd be a hundred miles away in Arlen, Kentucky. Arlen, Kentucky had a population of 3000. When you went into the city, there was a sign on the road that said population 3000. We'd have 30. We'd have 3,000 in the gym. <laughs> We'd have the whole city is in the gym. You know what I mean? It's like we'd be drawing to, to $10,000, $15,000 on at $3 a ticket. 
in uh in Highland, Kentucky. You know, it's just amazing, man. And uh, and the trips were just absolutely phenomenally short. And uh, guys didn't want to leave. You, you had a hard time uh, when you gave the notice, and boy, uh, and they would wait. I would have a list of of, of ten ten big time names on my list waiting to come and i'm just waiting to figure out how who am i going to send out and as you said earlier as we talked about we didn't switch out talent a whole lot uh we kept guys for a long time and we just switched angles we did a lot of angles we did a lot of creativity and uh we created uh we created something for everybody uh we had one we had sometimes uh have uh 14 guys in the crew and uh, 10 of them would be in angles. Uh, five matches, we'd have seven matches, and five matches got hot angles in them. And uh, it was just, it was, uh, it, but you had to do it because, as you said, we weren't in those big cities, and we were going to be back there next week. And uh, we just had to keep that creativity going. The one thing that really was so critical, Ron, and it's, you know, you've seen the evolution of the business, and I've really been right in the middle of it. But the ability to work is what made that possible. Guys could perform, and it would be, okay, we're just going to change your outlook. You're going to go from being a heel to a baby face. But the ability to go out and perform and work and make that new frame of mind, if you want to put it that way, possible for the fans you had to come behind it and you had to be able to work in those days there was only a spot for maybe one gimmick baby face and maybe one gimmick heel on a crew and the rest of the guys could work their ass off and you would just say okay you're mad at your cousin because this reason and we're going to play this out on tv and now your ability to follow up and and uh, make it happen in the ring was just critical. Yeah, it was like having interchangeable parts. You know, I mean, uh, you could just, uh, you knew that uh, the, the, the engine's going to run good. You just got to put this guy over here and you got to put that guy over there. And you're right. If you've got great talent, uh, they can sell anything. They can make any match work. And uh, that's basically, as a booker, you could just, you didn't have to worry. You had everybody in your crew. When you when I first started my first company in Knoxville, I had maybe uh, six top guys and six guys underneath guys. And as of, as I kept growing companies and going from Southeastern down to, to Pensacola and then creating Continental, uh, I end up with uh, every guy was the top guy. I remember one night in Dothan, Alabama, uh, and you then you probably remember days like this, Arn. The the first match was uh Bob Armstrong against Ron Bass. Wow. That was the opening match. There were six matches, that was the opening match. And when I looked at the card, I said that's where it ought to be. <laughs> I mean, everybody everybody above them are all great workers. You know, I mean uh, so you know and that's how you that's how you did it in those days. That's how you sold out these towns, the same ones week after week, is that you just had phenomenal crews. You had phenomenal angles. Guys went out there and worked and gave their hearts and their souls. And the fans knew it. They recognized it. They saw it. They could tell these guys are really 
doing it, man. And uh, uh, just a, it was just a phenomenal period. And they, uh, there was a lot of other territories, I guess, that were doing the same type of deal uh, back in the day. And I think that's why the territory days were so spectacular. And, uh, you know, that's why the old people, the old timers and fans that go, went back years ago, they, they still want to go back and talk about that era. Well, you mentioned him a minute ago. We just recently lost Bob Armstrong and everybody on, on this call knows what a great legacy he left behind, not only in the ring and entertaining fans, but with his great wrestling family that, that still lives on and, and is still making history these days. You got any good bullet Bob stories you can share with us today? Oh man. I love old bullet. Uh, the bullet and I guys went back so far and, uh, Bob and I had had a had, had a brother relationship. He was he was not just a friend. He was he was like a brother to me. And uh, and I've had, <laughs> I got one that I just thought of. Uh, uh, Bob Armstrong was one of the toughest and the baddest humans alive, man. I mean, he had that Marine background, and uh, and he wasn't just a regular Marine. He was the Marine, you know, when he was there. Uh, he was the guy. He was the best they had, and uh, and he was just like that in the business. And and uh, he, I got a call one time that his wife, whose name was Gail, and she's no longer with us either. And what a wonderful lady she was, just like Bob. Uh, I got a call one day, and I, I lived just down the road in Pensacola. I lived in a little subdivision, was maybe two miles away from Bob. And and Gail calls me up and she's she's panicking and she goes run run she goes you gotta get over here you gotta get over here right now and I go oh, wait whoa Gail what, what, what's going on she goes they're fighting they're fighting I said, who's fighting oh the whole of them run they're the Bob and then and, and, and Steve and Scott and Brad they're all out there in the front yard but hurry gotta come I'm like oh. I hung up the phone and I and I'm thinking, oh my God, what am I going to walk into here, man? I mean, you got Bob Armstrong and his boys and they're having some kind of battle in the yard. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go over. <laughs> you know, I was pretty much obligated. Nobody else could go and stop that kind of a deal. And thank goodness when I was when I got there, they had kind of finished with it. <laughs> Oh boy! And then Bob and I went back in his bedroom, and we had a long conversation. And uh, you know, he had a lot of testosterone-filled young guys that uh, you know were really hitting the weights big time. They had all this energy. They 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 had needed to release. And uh, wow, it's just that family though. Oh, oh, they were so phenomenal. I mean, uh, Bob Armstrong was just. He to me is he's the epitome of what a what a man should be about. Period, not just in the ring, but in every aspect of his life. Uh, he raised four boys that were just all gentlemen. Uh, wow, uh, and his and his wife uh, did a lot of that raising. She deserves a great deal of credit for it because every wrestler has a wife at home that handles the kids. And that is a job in itself, man. Especially when you got those boys about that age. Uh, it's uh, what a phenomenal family family they were. And uh, Bob was just a tremendous. One other one. Uh, Bob used to smoke cigarettes, <laughs> and, uh, and we had a Cadillac tournament in Knoxville in the 1976, and uh, we gave away a pink Cadillac 
a four-door pink Cadillac to the winner, and Bob Armstrong won the Cadillac. And uh, just as a type of angles we were doing, uh, Conrad, uh, uh, in this in this uh, championship match, we drove the Cadillac into the Coliseum. Coliseum was packed, you know, as always. And we drove the Cadillac in. We set it to where everybody in the building could see it. And it sat there during the entire match. And then that night, uh, the winner was going to go over and get the car and drive it out of the Coliseum. And there was Ronnie Garvin against Bob Armstrong for the pink Cadillac. And when we, uh, when, <laughs> when uh, Bob Armstrong won the car, uh, Garvin rolled out of the ring and Armstrong was still down selling and Garvin went straight over to the Cadillac. Now, everybody in the building's watching him, you know, what's he going to do, you know, and what, what nobody had any idea. And they had those steel stanchions that uh, had the little uh, velvet cords that you snapped onto them that was around the Cadillac to get the fan, keep the fans from getting too close to it. And uh, Ronnie Garvin goes over there and uh, he takes one of those steel stanchions, he pulls the, pulls the cords off of it. And he drives that steel stanchion through the front windshield, that brand new Cadillac. Wow. Wow. I mean, that building, you can imagine what what the reaction to everybody was. And then what Bob's reaction was when he, two minutes later, and then Garvin goes on to the dressing room and comes to see his car. And there's the big steel stanchion through the windshield. Uh, so he's driving that car one night. We're coming back from some Kentucky or someplace. And he's smoking a cigarette. A lot of people didn't know that Bob liked to smoke cigarettes sometimes. And we were driving on the freeway there, Interstate 75. Bob's probably driving in this pink Cadillac. We're probably doing 80 miles an hour. We're coming into the suburbs of Knoxville. And we're in the fast lane. And we come over a hill because there's mountains and hills there in the Knoxville area. And we come over the top of this hill. And about... Uh, uh, seemed like 30 yards in front of us is an old guy in a truck driving 20 miles an hour. <laughs> and Bob's got his cigarette. <laughs> he said, he's just about to take a puff. And, uh, and we top the hill and I see the car and he sees him too at the same time. And I go, Bob, Bob, like, oh my God, you're never going to be able to avoid hitting this guy. And he just, uh, he takes a cigarette, puts it in his mouth. And as he's putting it in the mouth, he whips around the car. He just grabs the whisper and whip, goes around in the other lane and right back into the express lane. And then blew the smoke out the window. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Jesus, man, I, just, I thought we were going to die right there, and he never missed a puff on the cigarette. <laughs> Bob is a Bob is a hell of a guy. Uh, I miss him greatly. Another yes, guy sir. we've uh, we've talked a lot about here on the show as we're sort of chronicling Arn's trip through your territory is Jerry Stubbs, and how influential he was to Arn's career, and how well thought of he was by the fans and the promoters. But he was more of a territory guy and never really got much of a platform on a more national stage. What can you tell us about Mr. Stubbs and what made him so special? Uh, Jerry Stubbs is a hardworking guy, um, and and he was dedicated to his business. Jerry Stubbs is another one of those guys I couldn't come up with a name that came from Southeastern, and we started him in Knoxville probably 1977. He started coming in to work in TV. And then he, we gave him a few shots and, uh, and he worked his way in because he was, he was so ambitious and he wanted to learn. He was the perfect for Arn. Him and Arn were so alike in so many ways, I thought. 
and uh, just team them up was just a natural. I mean, when I when I figured out the iron where he was headed, and uh, Jerry already was there. He had been in the business for a while, and uh, Jerry liked iron. We all liked Arn. Jerry in particular, he says, gosh, Ron, I, I love that Arn. He's a great guy. And uh, and me and Bob riding down the road and I said, we need to put Arn and Jerry together. And that was, you know, wow. It it wasn't just a great thing for Arn and it wasn't a great thing for Jerry. It was the great thing for the territory because those guys were just dynamite together. And uh, Jerry... Jerry was a tremendously hard worker. Jerry took his body and in in this in a one year period of time, absolutely, he changed it so much so that uh, that Bob Armstrong went to him and talked to him and he said, Jerry, he goes, you look like he's trying to figure the name. I heard the conversation. He says, you you look like you look like you look like one of those guys in the the Olympia contest, and uh and, and right there. Jerry goes, wow. He goes, Bob, you think so? And Bob says, yeah. He goes, you've done, you're just look at you, man. You, you've done, you've just changed everything about your body. And uh, and he said, Jerry says, I, I've been thinking about wearing a mask. About wearing a mask. And uh, Bob says, Mister Olympia, that's what you need to be, Mister Olympia. And uh, and Jerry Stubbs became Mr. Olympia probably within the next two weeks after that and uh, worked a big program. They worked together, those two guys, Arn and Jerry, uh, for a long, long time and then and then split up and then had the big war between them. Uh, and what great matches those were. Uh, Jerry's a great guy. He went on to uh, – he came to us as a policeman. And once he retired, he went back and became a policeman again. And he's still working. Uh, and just outside of Atlanta and the police force uh, does some little bit of work for him. Obviously, he's not a cop in the, in the everyday duty anymore, but uh, and a great individual, great guy. Uh, wow. Uh, a role model for, for a young arm. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I could kind of see that when, when we put them together. I said, uh, you know. Uh, this is going to be really, really good for Arn. You know, Jerry's Jerry's just just perfect for him to him to him to copy uh, what he sees in the ring and everywhere else with Jerry. And uh, Arn didn't need a whole lot of that. He, you know, uh, Arn Arn uh, just uh, he he had his he had his act together, uh, and it wasn't just his stuff in the ring. He had his life in in hand, and he he knew where he wanted to go, and uh, you know. He didn't need much of a role model. He he became the role model. I'm uh, we, we've had a lot of discussion about your territory, and we just recently touched on when Arn finished up, and when all the chips were down, and it was time for Arn to uh, move on to Middle Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Uh, he's going to take on Robert Fuller in a Loser Leaves Town match. I bet you know a thing or two about him. What can you tell us about mm -hmm. that loser leaves town match and the way Arn gave notice and how, unfortunately, uh, his run with you guys is going to wind down as he's looking to try the Carolina territory next. Well, you know, Rob was lucky in a way because he got to work with one of the great workers of all time, man, in that loser leave town match. And, uh, and I'm sure Rob that's the same way you know i never discussed that with him but uh that's the way we'd happen to be booked that way and uh arn 
Arn, I, th- Arn, I think Arn came to me and told me that he had gotten the call. And, and I, geez, man, I was thrilled for him. You know, I, I, you, you hate to lose a great talent like Arn. Uh, you, you're never going to get, you may never get another talent like Arn, you know, when you, when you lose somebody like that. But I always felt like, uh, I, 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 real, I realized and I recognized that we didn't have the monster territories that other places had and that we weren't ever going to be able to pay guys what they could make in New York and, uh, and other places. Uh, Carolina is a good example. Uh, and so I, I remember, I think I told Arn, you know, geez, Arn, it's your time, man. You, you got it. You, you're going to be a star. You're going to, you're going to do great. You know, I never had, I never once even considered saying, Arn, no, no, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't go. Uh, because that wouldn't have been fair to Arn. And, uh, you know, um, he had given everything he could when he worked for us. Uh, he'd done everything he could to get himself over, and uh, you know I'd have been uh, I'd have been I'd have been very selfish to say to anything to him about oh well think about it Arn and would you like to stay a little longer? It was his time, and I recognized that. And uh, you know it's really odd in in the wrestling when you are uh, becoming good and you're becoming a star, uh, you reach a point where where it's your time. And when that time is there, uh, you need to make the proper move to to push your your uh, your 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 uh, your future uh, forward. You need to move forward. And uh, and Arn had reached that spot. He needed to move up. He needed to wrestle the best there was. He needed to make the big money. He deserved it. And uh, by golly, man, uh, he tore him up. He went up there and he did the same thing he did in Southeastern. He he ripped them up up there, man, and uh, and he made he did everywhere he went. He just kept uh, kept doing it, and uh, it's just it, Arn, you're a very very rare individual in the sport, uh, and I, I I don't think I'm probably the only person sitting here as a promoter uh, that that recognized that uh, or or a wrestler. Uh, I mean. Uh, uh, all of them, you know, I, I never, I never hear bad things uh, of any kind about Arn. And that's a, that's a good thing to say in wrestling because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not the easiest of businesses to make everybody happy. in. Uh, but uh, Arn sure did a job of it. Thank you, Ron. I, I appreciate that very much. Let me just say this, and it's something that I don't know if you remember, but I'm certain that you do conversation went down almost exactly like you said it did. I, I came to you and I said, you know, Rick Flair is, is wanting to book me. I know I've been here a long time. What do you think? You said, yeah, you, you, you know, your time is, you, you know, you ought to, you ought to go. And I said, can I come back? I remember clearly saying, can I come back? And you said, yeah, you come back anytime. And the real nail in it, and if you know the business, this will you'll understand this completely. On your last time out of a territory, if you were leaving and you, you know, you hadn't handled your business the right way or or whatever the deal was, you always were a week behind on paychecks. So that you were gone for a week before you got your final check, you were already somewhere else. And there was an opportunity there for a promoter to screw you. 
I mean, what are you going to do? Get in your car and drive back down there and go see the guy. You gave me my last check, the largest check I'd ever had in the business leaving. And I never forgot that. And I said, you know, he is such a smart guy. He wants to leave a good taste in my mouth, you know, for coming back sometime. And it just, you didn't say anything about it. It was nothing different business as usual, but I just looked at it and went, wow, what a, what a great thing. Never forget. Stuff well, like well, man, I appreciate that. Arn. Uh, you deserved it. You deserved it. And, uh, you know, I always, always felt like, you know, we developed a lot of great talent and, uh, you know, I wish I had written out a list here, you know, if I'd thought I was going to have that question. Uh, I mean, a lot of tremendous guys that went on to have fabulous futures in wrestling. And, uh, I never, I always felt like, uh, when they left that, uh, that I felt proud. I felt like, you know, I, we've had a hand here and here in developing this guy. And, uh, I would never, I would never take his money. I would never have shorted anybody on the way out. Uh, I would, I always wished everybody that was leaving that I knew was headed to stardom, uh, a success, man, uh, go get it, go, go make a big name for yourself. And, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, I'd have been a fool. Uh, like you said, uh, if it, in a way that is a smart way to do it, uh, you know, I, I don't think guys that, and I know a lot of territories had that rap that, you know, you're going to get screwed on your last check. But, uh, wow, I'd have been a fool to do it uh, because, like you say, you, you leave that door open because you never know. Uh, it was a strange sport. You, you thought you'd never see this guy again. Uh, he's, he'll never come back and by golly, sooner or later, bam, all of a sudden you get that call. And, uh, so, so it, it was, it was, uh, it was the way to do business. And, uh, and uh, you don't sure deserve the money that you got every check, not just that check, but all the checks that you got. And, uh, and, uh, and luckily we were doing real good business and we were able to write some pretty good checks for wrestlers and guys really came in there and, uh, enjoyed working for us cause we were in party parts of the country. You either was on the beach or you lived in the mountains and they had some of the most beautiful lakes in the Knoxville area <laughs> that are in the world, man. And, uh, gosh, uh, it, we were, we were extremely lucky. We, we were small business most of the time, but we were in a good location that we had great wrestlers. We tried to treat them good. We, uh, we drove our fans absolutely wild with crazy angles and things that they never ever dreamed they'd see. And, uh, it was, it was all a great experience. Pardon the interruption, but I just wanted to tell you really quick about two of the best ways to support the Arn Show. One is to pick up a shirt from ArnShirts.com, and the other is to grab a gimmick from BoxAgimmicks.com. It's the official store of the Arn Show. You not only support the show financially, but you get to show off your fandom to others, helping spread the word about one of your favorite podcasts. So check out ArnShirts.com and BoxAgimmicks.com, and thank you for being a listener to the Arn Show. Well, we've had a great experience having you on here today, Mr. Fuller. We can't thank you enough for the time you spent over an hour with us. We're sorry for keeping you so long, but we had such a delightful time talking to you. We've, uh, we've really not spent a lot of time talking about the territories until the last few months. And we've had so much fun and so of our listeners and to have, you know, one of the founding fathers of the territories here with us today is so cool. And, and we really thank you. And 
I'd like to give you an opportunity to sort of promote your podcast because I know the stud cast is alive and well, and people can hear more of your great stories on a pretty consistent basis. Tell them where to catch it. Uh, yeah, we're at, uh, I have a website at TN stud, uh, and, uh, then, uh, obviously podcast it's on where uh, almost every all podcast are, you can find it out there and it's just called a stud cast. And once a month I do a special program. I did one on Arn uh, very recently called a super stud cast, which is three hours. And, uh, it's a, it's a Patreon product, uh, you know, it's a two ninety nine for the three hours. Uh, it's a TN stud or patreon.com st- slash studcast. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, 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 and I've been doing the studcast. I, my studcast is uh, 200 episodes. We're over 200 episodes. And, you know, I enjoy it, uh, Conrad, because I get an opportunity to talk wrestling in the old school days. And, wow, there's so much demand out there, it seems like to me, for old school, uh, from old school fans and for old school uh uh, history. And, uh, you know, I feel kind of honored to be able to, to sit there every week and, 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 and try to educate people about, uh, how it used to be, especially those younger people. I don't know how many of them listen. Uh, I know we got a lot of younger people that listen to the show too, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of history, uh, that the young people don't know. And there's a lot of history that the older people know and will ever want to forget. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you again for everything. I know it means a lot to both Arn and myself, and I'm sure our listeners have had a great time. And I hope everybody listening will go check out the stud cast. This was fun, Arn. Yeah, it was. It's an honor, Ron. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. Thank you, Arn. Uh, I love you, man. Uh, and, uh, and I wish you great success. You got a, you got a great one here. You're on there with a great guy. Uh, and, uh, you're going to knock them dead again, man. Just like in the ring. Thanks, sir. Thanks for the time. How about that, Arn? We had our first guest, and man, we couldn't have had a better guest, Mr. Ron Fuller. Hope everybody checks out the Studcast, and I hope you guys stay tuned next week. We're going to keep the story going as Arn goes north. He's finished up with Southeastern Championship Wrestling, and I think Dusty had a pretty famous line when he first met with you about coming to work in Mid Atlantic. What was that line, Arn? Give us a tease for next week. Oh, go get over. <laughs> and that's what we're going to try to do next week right here on Arn. So a lot of us have been through this, you know, finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but you hate all the pressure of what's next. Of course, there's all the engagement talk, but then there's the pressure from actually shopping for a ring, hassle, haggling, finding a store to trust, trying to figure out the four C's discounts, sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. But at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged. And that's why guys really hate Steven Singer. He takes away every excuse in the book about not buying the ring. And he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler that has been making it so easy to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. There's no call center. There's no sales. There's no haggling. There's no coupon codes. There's no discounts, just the best price possible, guaranteeing the best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly 
And by the way, they're open now. You don't need an appointment. Just stop by or online at I hate always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate Or if you're in the area, go check him out anytime at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. As for me here in Alabama, I'm going to check out. I hate and you should too. All right, real quick, before we get out of here, I got to say it one last time. I want to save you money. Stop what you're doing and rush over to savewithconrad.com. This is going to be the best summer ever. Just ask Miguel in Plainsville, Ohio. He left us a five-star review at conradreviews.com and it said this. Big thank you to Conrad and his team. I enjoyed my experience working with First Family Mortgage. Jimmy was there anytime I had any questions. He was just a text message away. Saving money and refinancing my home couldn't have been any easier. Miguel saving a whole bunch of cash, and you can too right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But I do want to mention, this isn't just for refinancing. Maybe you've outgrown your current home or you're tired of throwing your money away on rent. First Family Mortgage can help you get into your next house fast and easy. at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, no house payments for two months. Come on, let's make this the best summer ever with a little summer vacation from house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Woo! Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.